Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 111 of the Speaking Club podcast. As I record this intro, we're in lockdown across most of the world, and it's been interesting to see how different generations have reacted to the situation. Baby boomers are battening down the hatches, Generation X are stoic, Millennials are stepping up, and Generation Y are licking toilets. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, hey! Thank you for joining me again. Well, this is a funny old situation, isn't it? It's, uh, it's a bit strange, isn't it? We're all having to, to change and adapt and get used to living with our family in close proximity for like 24-7. One thing a lot of people are having to do because of this crisis is switch to speaking online. And whether you're speaking online or on stage, one thing that you've got to be able to do is connect with your audience. And in this current crisis, it's important more than ever to be meeting our audience where they are to reach them with our message. And that is why I'm really happy to have award-winning comedian and marketer Christian Russell Pollock as my guest for this show. Now, I work with Christian regularly, and he's a master at engaging his audience. And as an MC, it's imperative that you build rapport. But as ever, there are some tools and tricks of the trade that we're going to be sharing in this show to help you out. We're also going to be covering tips for humour, building your brand and loads of other golden nuggets. So make sure you grab a notebook because there are some game changers here. Now I'm going to switch over to the interview in just a second. But before that, I wanted to share a little bit about Christian's current situation. Now we recorded this interview back in February and as I've mentioned and as you know, since then the world has turned upside down. Many of us have been impacted to varying degrees, but Christian, like other comedians and performers, has lost all his income practically overnight. And that being said, I wanted to ask you a favour. Now, my team and I have been working on a project to bring live comedy online in order to provide an opportunity for comedians and eventually other performers to earn and entertain during this crisis and to give people stuck at home the chance to experience live stand-up comedy and a bit of light relief. Now, this isn't just going to be some streaming content. This is as close to experiencing a live gig as you can get online. Now, we're planning to launch the very first live comedy gig on Monday, 30th of March, and tickets are going to be available very, very soon. So if you're a fan of comedy or you just want some social interaction... Please check out couchcomedylive.com to get your ticket or to get on the notification list for when the event is live. And the second favour I wanted to ask you is if you have any need of marketing support, please check out Christian's marketing company, First Edition Marketing, to see if he can help you out as his marketing uh, business was all linked to events promotion and that has gone too. Okay, having said all of that, let's crack on with the interview. Christian Russell Pollock, welcome to the Speaking Club. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Now, we work together quite a lot. Could you give me like a potted history of how you ended up doing stand-up comedy? Because it's not what you originally did, is it? Yeah, so yeah, I've never done any stand-up before until I, uh, till I started, uh, which was about, ooh, about three years ago now. And yeah, before then, I guess it was just something I wanted to do. There was quite a lot of performing in my family. My mum and dad, actually, they used to be, um, they used to have like a comedy mind reading act. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, and so they did. I never saw them perform, but I saw, you know, I, I'd see tapes and photographs and things, but I never saw them live. My family's so, so, that sort of family where at uh, Christmas or whatever, you'd have to stand up and do a turn. 
and everyone would go around and then someone would sing a song and, and, and my dad sort of wrote me some jokes. Um, so, I mean, I must have been a real small child. So that was, I guess, my first, that was like my, probably my first, technically my first gig. But yeah, but I, so I did enjoy it, although I was, uh, it's sort of a funny one because I see myself as quite shy in many respects, but then at times not. It's yeah. strange. Uh, so I just knew it was something I really wanted to do. Um, and then about yeah, three years ago, I had a change in uh, job and my partner, she was going to move to Plymouth and we were living in North Wales. Uh, so it meant I had to look for new work. And I got to that point of like, I don't really know if this is what I want to do. You know, I was working in just in marketing at the time. Um, so we had one of these chats and she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I actually want to be a stand up. That's, that's what I've always wanted to do. Um, so she said, well, why don't you go for it? And then, yeah, so I moved down and then started. And then that's how I got involved in it, really. So what was it? Did you, so when you did that first little turn at Christmas, do you remember thinking, oh, yeah, this is for me? No, or, not at all. So not what all. was it about? You know, what made it? Was it just that sort of it, it was, it's in your blood? Or what is yeah. it about stand-up that... Because that, if you hadn't done it, apart from that, how did you know you wanted to do it? What was it that you thought was going to be good about it? It's a really good question. I actually don't know. It was always something that I just sort of knew I would do. Um, and even if I, I wasn't doing it at the time, I sort of knew one day I would. So I was never sort of worried about starting, if that makes sense. Yeah. But that, that probably cost me a, you know, a few years. I, could have, I should have, suppose, you know, could have started earlier. Um, but I just, I just, I don't know, I just felt like it was always something that, that would eventually happen. Um, but then after that conversation, I had to, you had to make that decision and do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah, it's, it was, yeah, it's sort of odd thinking back of it. This is quite, it's quite weird to have to think back about how its origin started. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because in some senses, you might have done it the right way around. Because in any sort of the performing arts, it's not well, it's it's not well paid, is it? I mean, comedy, you know, especially when you're starting off. I remember I got caught because I wanted to get into acting when I was young. I, I, I got caught in the sort of golden handcuffs of getting a career and then getting money, and then yeah. it's difficult to give that up to, to 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 go, you know, go back to sort of. Yeah, because unless you make the breakthrough, it's it's a tough life as any sort of performer, I think. So you you've actually got something tangible that you can do alongside it, which you might not have had if you'd have gone straight into it potentially. That is that is very true. Yes, I think yes, I think I, I do agree with that. And there are times where I feel oh, I really wish I'd started it earlier, and then there are other times where I think actually I'm so glad I do it now um, because well, I mean, life experience is huge. When you go on stage, I think one of the things is people really want to feel like they're, you're someone that they can, uh, you know, sort of, you've got a lot of power when you're holding the microphone. Yeah. And I think it's it's difficult if a 16-year-old's up there, you sort of go, who is this person? You know, what are they to talk about? But at least I've got some actual life experience. Yes. I've worked in, you know, plenty of different jobs. So, and that's meant also that I've got quite a lot of things to talk about in terms of material. Yeah which is useful I started when I was you know 17 or 18 I think also I would have been absolutely dreadful um which uh and I think that probably would have put me off as well so so going back a little bit later was probably a good good move um but yeah there are times where I think oh we should have started this earlier absolutely yeah and 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 there's there's like two halves to comedy isn't there there's the writing half half Mm -hmm. and then there's the performing which of the which of the two do you enjoy more I think Bob Monka, Bob Monka once said that there's no better feeling than writing a joke about sort of 30 minutes before you go on stage. And, and that, is, that is definitely true. I definitely feel that. That's when the writing side is at its best, I think. When you think of something just before you go on, that's, sort of, that's a very niche bit of writing. The rest of the writing is sat down in a room. Um, and that's a bit more stressful because you have no idea whether it's going to land for whatever reason. Maybe the adrenaline before you go on stage gives you um gives you that buzz that you know that's going to land so i don't uh, i sort of enjoy it but i don't know if i enjoy it. the performing is the bit i really enjoy Joy. yeah performing new material is one of the best feelings actually I, like they're still my favorite gigs new material nights where you've just written stuff that day or that week and you go up there and you see what hits and what misses um and as long as you can you know because to a lot of people i think that's quite a traumatizing thought of saying things that could be you know, could be absolutely awful or, well, not, not awful, just not funny. Yeah. Um, that's the gamble bit I actually like the most. And you can cover as well if it goes wrong. There's always, yeah. you know, lines you can do. And actually, I find the concept of someone going up on stage and saying things that aren't funny when they're trying to be funny 
quite funny. <laughs> In a perverse way. I do, I do. And, as, and then so I, as long as you show that that, and so if I say something that isn't funny and I acknowledge that that isn't funny, then people, they find that funny. So it's, you know, you can always cover. I don't know if that answers your question at no, all. No, whether. It does, it does. And it's a nice segue into, into my next question, which is around your first gig. Can, can you tell me how you felt like before and after and, and how it went? You yeah. Remember okay. where it was? It was uh, in the Exeter Phoenix, in, in Exeter, um, and they do a monthly comedy night, uh, a new, one of these new material nights, um, and they had about audience of perhaps sort of 30 in, right. um, but they didn't, at that time, they didn't have very many acts, so they had about four acts on, which was, which was good in the end, because they said, if you want to do longer, you can, because they said, oh, you've got five minutes originally and they said oh actually you can have 10 minutes if you want which is a little bit if you've never done a gig before that like 10 minutes is a bit long <laughs> really um, <laughs> but <laughs> I didn't know what would work what didn't work and actually it was lucky I did the longest set because the laughs I got actually came in the second half oh. so if I'd have done just the first five minutes I would have got pretty much nothing um so in hindsight I was very lucky but um but yeah it went it went okay I mean I certainly didn't smash it and I certainly didn't die as well which is good so I was in that sort of comfortable middle ground but I was incredibly nervous before uh, and I was I was so well prepped like I'd printed off my notes I'd you know I typed everything up it was I'd learned it word by word what I was going to say um, which now I don't do at all I do it's, it's not really a very for me it's not really a very good approach I find I'm better just chatting around to a topic rather than trying to remember exact every exact word um but yeah no at the time it was it was very well um very well very exactly scripted um and so i, I said all, i said everything i uh, i said everything i could remember um and yeah got i got sort of probably out of 10 minutes i probably got about about sort of four or five laughs but one did decent laugh like now what I would look back as a proper laugh you know the whole yeah. room get the whole room on board um so out of sort of 10 minutes I got one decent laugh really looking back was I'll take that <laughs> for the first go so I'm quite, yeah. I'm quite interested in what you said there so um at what point did you let go of the script and then and then how does that work in terms of the joke structure now because you you obviously know you've got a setup and you've got a punchline for the joke mm. yeah so what point did you let go of the script and then so, and then how do you manage that in terms of getting around to the to the joke keeping the joke structure tight so it's it's probably happened relatively recently actually um and there are some jokes now that i do tell word for word the same um and that's probably happened because i'm so confident with that material and i've sold, said it so many times yeah. so i've got some jokes that i will go into a gig and i'll, I'll feel very, very confident they'll land. And because I've told them, you know, a hundred times, I'll basically say it in the same way. Yeah. And I know which bits gets the laugh and, and words are very critical. So although I'm not quite as regimented about things as I used to be, there are certain words you have to deliver to set the scene. And there are certain pauses you have to put in to give people the time to laugh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but more recently I've, realize that actually i just have to get to those points it doesn't matter how i do that necessarily yeah. so i've got the you've got the bullet points of what jokes you have to say you know you've got to get the last but then the actual segues to them that's that's where it actually needs to be a bit more relaxed um because otherwise what, what you tend to do is you you um you forget to be um present in the room you just go up there and you do your script but actually what you've got typically is you've got so many so much material that will link to things that are happening that night so there might be someone um you know there might be someone who comes from a place that's about a joke you're about to do and if you've sort of you know if, if someone if the mc has talked to that person you've learned that you can use that information you know if they're from kent and i'm from kent that's such an easy segue i can i can bring the room in that way or if there's you know i do some stuff about weddings for example so if you ask the audience anyone got married recently that's really easy, you know, you way you sort of, you link the room to your material rather than just going up and simply delivering a script, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because part of it is about reading. It's like reading the room that you've got rather than reading the room in your head. Because if you're stuck in your head with the script, like exactly, you're not connecting to the people that are there. Yeah, Yeah, it's so true. And that's, I guess, any public speaking, but particularly with comedy, I think that is the moment actually where, well, for me personally, is where it all started to click. And as soon as I found that I talk into the audience and bring in the room into it rather than just doing my jokes whether they liked it or not yeah that was when it all started and you'd go gigs would go from being you know okay to good to suddenly being like oh that was great you know I really enjoyed that I really it's a it's, there's almost some sort of barrier between you and the audience and you can't it's, you know it's totally intangible but sometimes you break it and sometimes you don't and the times I've always broken it and I felt so connected with the audience are the times when I've spoken to them the most and or had jokes about things that are happening in that room or have happened that evening or happened in that town. You know, when you've got you when you make it totally bespoke to that room, that is the moment when it feels really that's the moment where it goes the best, always. Yeah. It makes the audience feel special as well, I think. It's uh you know that, that they are getting they're getting to that's particularly isn't it it is yeah it cool. absolutely is and actually it's 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 different to many sort of art forms because with music you you can only really do that i guess in the patter between the songs but you can't do it with the songs themselves you can't change the lyrics to <laughs> make that whereas with jokes you can actually do that you can actually change a joke and you can even do it where you change a punchline to fit that exact room that exact setting you're in so that is yeah that that does make comedy very unique in that sense yeah no it's brilliant now you you're a really funny comedian but also you know brilliant mc and, and you mc the gig that uh, that i organize uh, regularly and you, you're great at it now when i when i was doing i always found the mc more challenging than doing a straight set and um, which of the two do you prefer and why well it's very kind of you firstly um, <laughs> it's only true <laughs> um i i i probably enjoy them equally I would say, and I enjoy them for different reasons. Um, the the MCing is, you can have the most fun on stage MCing. I think that's because that is really when you can go completely off script. In fact, when I first started MCing, I, I used, and I think a lot of comics go through this, is you, you go up there and you do your material and then you introduce an act. And then as you get more and more confident, you start to talk to a couple of people in the crowd and then now I'm at that stage where I don't do any material unless it comes very naturally off something I've spoken about with the yeah. crowd. I'll only do jokes um, or pre-scripted jokes if it, the opportunity arises or occasionally I'll be wanting to try out some new material and that is actually a good place to, to do it as well. Um, but, but MC, yeah, can, you can just have some effect. The gig that you organise, it's beautiful, beautiful gig. It's, it's one of my favourites. And that, that's such an, for me, that's one of the highlights of my month because it's, it makes it sort of, that's why you do it, those sort of gigs. Everyone goes to that night wanting a good time, so they're already sort of going in laughing. They're very fun, they're very open, and they give you so much to work with as an MC. Um, that, that, you know, that, that's when MC is absolutely brilliant. And I probably, that gig, I perhaps prefer to be the MC than an act if that makes sense <laughs> yeah um, but some but but the great thing about being like just doing the sets is there's something so satisfying about people laughing laughing at something that you have actually crafted mm. you know and and the bar is also higher when you're a, a comic people laugh uh they're much more generous with their laughter for an MC because it's all off the cuff yeah the bar goes down if it's improvised definitely people will laugh at things they're much more generous they'll, they'll laugh at things that if you were to have written it as a joke and come on stage as a comic that perhaps wouldn't have got a laugh but as an MC, if you say it off the top of your head that's it's almost like it's a trick if that makes sense you know they're almost just, just impressed that you could do that so quickly rather than they're laughing at the speed necessarily rather than the the quality of the joke yeah um so if you can, so if you can come on as a comic and make these beautifully crafted jokes that you spent a lot of time on, and that get a proper laugh, that's a really satisfying feeling. Yeah. So I think I get different things from from them both. The one thing I would say actually is MCing has had the single biggest um, positive contribution as a 
as a comedian. It means you can do that stuff of breaking down the barrier between you and the audience. You can yeah. talk to them so much easier. Um, you know, and if a joke doesn't go well, you're, you're almost bulletproof because you can cover yeah. And you can chat to them. And if, you know, you suddenly feel like, because it can happen, there's a dip in energy in the room or you lose them, some of your material didn't land the way you hoped, that you can actually talk to them again and get them back on board. Yeah. And you can do a bit of crowd work and get them back on. Okay, now we can go on to another bit and hopefully go from there. You can almost reset the room. So it's, it's so useful having the MC yeah. skills for a comedian. They, they contribute. They can, um, you know, they help each other quite nicely. Yeah, it makes, I think confidence wise, generally, like it gives you more because you, when you, you own the stage, when you, when I was, I was telling my comedy students, when you're given that mic, it's you, you're in charge of the stage. And I think as an MC, it gives you that next level, like you own the gig if you're the MC, let alone the sort of the stage. So it does, I think, give you that boost. I think you're right. Absolutely. Cool. Now, the majority of, um, of the listeners to the show are going to be doing some form of public speaking. And, they can, you know, people can get quite scared of using humour in, in their public speaking. And I wanted to, to get your um, three tips for being successful with humour you know, based on your experience. And you do have some crossover with business. You're not, you know, you're not exclusively a comic. So it's interesting to get your take on it. Yeah. No, I, I, firstly, I would say people should, should definitely use it. Um, well, depending on the content, <laughs> obviously there are moments where it's totally not appropriate. Um, but uh, but on the whole, it is a really good way of uh, breaking the ice. Um, particularly, you know, if any sort of form of public speaking, you know, if you you set the stall out quite nicely. If you have some jokes in at the beginning, um, and you get the audience just a bit more relaxed. That's all you have to do. Um, really, is just relax them. When I first started doing comedy, one of the things I would I would do, and I still do it to to, to make some extent now is use this quote that I heard from a guy called Paul Arden so a book he wrote um, he's a famous sort of advertiser and he wrote this book about it's not how good you are it's how, how good you want to be that's the name it's a great book and it's just filled with these um, little little sort of nuggets of advice and they're very good and there's one in it that he sort of never seek praise seek criticism and I, I love that I just and and I use that prior to comedy in lots of things but for some reason in comedy, it was like, it was the most useful quote I'd ever heard. And so after every gig, I'd find the, the best comic or comics on the bill that night. And I'd go and ask them for some advice of what I could do to improve. They gave me some great, you know, like nuggets of advice. Um, so the, one of the best ones, which would relates to this is, it's, it's typically the truest thing that's the funniest thing. So, and that's, that's so important when you're trying to make jokes in, in any sort of public speaking, because, you know, if you're talking about something like uh, accountancy and you're about to do a 45 minute speech on accountancy, that is going to be boring. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the truest thing. So you, you have to acknowledge that up front and then say, you know, and then if you can put some jokes in around how boring it is, it relaxes people and people will laugh at that you know the sort of the you know that is the truest thing it's the truest thing in that scenario and you know and and then if you can do that with pretty much any example of public speaking then you'll you'll be onto a winner you just got to find out what is the truest thing around it and and most importantly what the audience the majority of the audience will be thinking um and and then that comes back to the the sort of the next one i guess which would be reading the room it is really reading the room because some jokes will uh will come off um, just off the audience sort of thing. And in, in public speaking, there's so much, you know, I, I think the best public speaking, not just comedy, but in any sort of walk of life that I've seen has been where they've taken the person, the speaker has taken the time at the beginning to do a little bit of crowd work, really. And whether that's something as, as simple as taking, you know, people's suggestions at the beginning for different things. Uh, I went to see a... Uh, it's a theatre show, but it was about, um, it, was, it was sort of a reenactment of this ghost story uh-huh. that happened. And at the beginning, they did, this, they did this bit where they asked people in the audience for their own ghost stories, if they'd ever experienced ghosts. And ever, you know, but basically, what they did was they, they, they threw information out of the audience from people just sat around you getting ghost stories. And so even if you're sort of a sceptic, of ghosts you suddenly because you knew you're in a room filled with people that actually believed it it really like added to the sort of the, the you know the atmosphere in the room 
and it made it, it was such a good show they, I mean it would have been brilliant without that but it just added something to it and it mm. just it just brought me as an audience member into that show more because even though I didn't have any stories these people simply being around me that did and they weren't you know planted or anything like that because one of my friends said something so I knew it was you know it was genuine audience stories um it just it just it meant I could connect to the story more um that's, that's all it was so I'd say definitely um with the humor that that can come is doing some audience work at the beginning but with the like light-hearted stuff really yeah you know. and, then, and then maybe um nothing extra but you might have some if speakers are particularly wanting to go into being an MC or compare for speak because you do have them in in public speaking as well have you got some tips for you know how to um be good at that yeah MC in um, when I first started out, someone told me that the, the MC is there for the night and the comics are there for themselves, essentially. Uh-huh. It's the MC's responsibility to make sure that the audience has a good time and to make sure that the club prospers and people come back, all of that sort of stuff. Um, the comedians obviously want to have a good time and they want people to laugh, but, but really it's, it's a very different role. Um, so if you go in with that mindset that the MC, you, you have to actually take your own ego away from it. And actually you don't want to be the funniest on the bill because that will help means that the acts won't have as good a night and you need them to have a good night. You've got to look after all of them. Um, so you, you don't necessarily want to be the funniest on the bill. You also don't want to be the worst on the bill, but that's a different, <laughs> that's a different point. You've just got to make sure it, it flows nicely. You've just got to basically as much as you can be in charge of everything when it comes to the audience's enjoyment. So if you hear people talking and they shouldn't be talking, you as the MC are obliged to deal with that one way or another. And if, if, if it's just a little bit talking, it's not a problem, that's fine. But if it's problematic talking in the audience, you might have to address that by going over to them in the interval. You know, you have to do everything around that. Um, obviously, the gig organisers as well does things, but... But if you're the compere, then that's you sort of need to get into that mindset of that that is your responsibility. You know that the uh, the audience are well informed from the minute they go. You don't want them to ever have to be thinking what comes next. You've got yeah. to direct them everywhere, so they need to know. Even simple things like they need to know that they don't have to worry about getting a drink while the acts are on because there's going to be an interval in twenty minutes. It's, it's simple admin, but it's it makes such a difference to the audience's enjoyment because they need to they want to feel relaxed at every single moment. They, just, they don't want to be like, oh, do I need to get up and go to the toilet now? It doesn't sort of seem like the stuff that would actually make a difference to a night, but it really does. Because yeah. what you don't want is suddenly all your audience getting up halfway through an act to go to the toilet. You want them to be sat down for the whole time because otherwise the acts won't be having a good you know good night it's, it's just I guess it's things like that so it, I, and that applies you know I haven't said anything there about telling jokes that applies to emceeing anything you know you're just there for them really yeah. that's yeah. that's it I guess no and I th- and definitely you do that so certainly with, with, with when I've worked with you like that is that comes across really really loud and clear so that's no, I think that's probably why you're so good not everyone does that <laughs> so uh, um cool now the comedy isn't the only thing that you do to make a living can you tell me about what else you do yeah so I do I do a few little bits um so I uh I organize a few gigs myself um down here down so I'm based in Plymouth so I organize a few things here down in the southwest um, but then also I do uh, quite a lot of freelance marketing, um, which is, uh, which is good because that, that's my background was marketing. Um, and now I've managed to get myself in a position where I've cut a little bit of a niche where I, I do quite a lot of comedy marketing. So I'll work with promoters, um, of all different sizes, I actually work with some, you know, small little venues who put on comedy nights all the way up to, um, well, I've done a couple of big theatre shows and putting on shows for people like Sean Locke and Jason Manford and I've executed the marketing for those um and then also helping comedians if they need any um if they need any marketing support whether it be like building a website or you know helping them get access to a decent uh, photographer or you know just working on building a brand and all that sort of stuff so yeah that's what i've been that's it's worked really nicely it it sort of coincides with the the comedy stuff beautifully actually yeah Um, they really dovetail 
and it is it is an issue i don't know if anyone else really sort of specializing in the same way as you do but um i'm, I'm determined to get to, to pick your brains on that as, as much as i can while i've got you so so public you mentioned about how you help um comedians uh, grow their brand and in a way public speakers have a very similar need uh here and i i wondered if i could get some tips from you on in that respect you know what should we be focusing on first to build our brand hmm. the first thing um and it is this i mean there's so many parallels with this and pretty much any bit of business is you just have to get your product right to begin with that's that's number one that that sort of comes before any promotion or anything um and with and with Public speaking, your product is obviously what you're saying. Um, and with comedy, it's what jokes are telling. And, and the one thing that has to be um, of absolute importance is getting that sort of tone of voice, getting that, that distinct voice right. That has to be, for me, that has to be the priority. Um, because because you, you, you want people, the audience sort of almost want to know to an extent what they're going to get. Yeah. You know, you, you go and see a comedian. You go and see Bill Bailey because you know what you're going to get to an extent. You don't know exactly the words he's going to say. You know he's going to make you laugh because he's going to sort of trick you with his, you know, jokes and things. But you don't know exactly what he's going to say, but you know roughly what you're going to see with Bill Bailey. And that is one of the, I mean, that is one of the reasons why he's so successful. Obviously, he's wickedly talented, of course, but all the successful comedians are successful because they've got such a distinct you know, they've got such a distinct tone of voice. You know what they're going to say. With Billy Connolly, you know you're going to get your silly, you know, your daft stories. Yeah. You know, you're going to, you know, you just know. And Sarah Pascoe, you know what you're going to get. John Robbins, you know what you're going to get. Wherever, whatever comedian that's sort of, you know, a, a, you know, a, um, have made it in inverted commas. That's and that's their secret. And I would say, although it's, it's clearly not a secret, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, but so that's the first thing I would get. Um, get you know get right because if you're not true to that and you're not true to that tone of voice then you you lose audiences like my, one of the things when i first started out I, I had some pieces that were a bit sort of ranty i do some sort of like rant they were joke rants obviously but but i couldn't do it i just couldn't do it because it wasn't it wasn't believable it's not in my nature mm. if that makes sense and so people couldn't buy into that bit of material so even though it was getting laughs it wasn't getting proper you know i wasn't getting the full audience on board i was losing quite a few people and someone said to me they said it's just it's not quite as believable coming from you i that's not part of my tone of voice yeah um whereas someone else you know you know sort of a john richardson or someone who's good at that sort of passive progressive ran yeah nails it every time yeah. um but i i can't do it so so yeah so you have to just work out what your tone of voice is um and the only way to do that i guess is is to film everything you do if, if people can is to film every gig they do or every bit of public speaking and then look back at it and see those moments when you were most um where it's sort of seen the most sincere if that makes sense mm. uh where where what you were saying seemed the most true to you or what you're going for um in that you know obviously you can put on a character acting century but i think with public speaking typically people are themselves so whatever seems like the most to you or ask other people and find out, um, you know, what it is um, that, and then you, you eventually, you get these little nuggets and you put them together and then you've got almost your, your on-stage character, if you like, that thing that you can deliver time after time after time, that people know what they're going to get. And then that's, so that's the, like the product side of it. And then the next bit would be to build your brand. It's, it's working out how you're going to collect data, how you're going to collect from everyone that sees you, how are those people going to be able to stay in touch? Um, so something I like to do is a, like an e-newsletter. Yeah. Um, and I'll sort of try and collect email addresses from people um, and then send something out semi-regularly. Um, the trouble is you sort of you sit here, you preach. It's so difficult <laughs> to find time to do that. And it's so difficult to find the time to do the e-newsletter and then write jokes or prepare speeches. Um, so it's not easy. It's not easy. But... If you can make time for something, that is the thing you should be making time for. Is that sort of that little bit of self marketing? Yeah. Um, how you? What ways are there for people to be getting back in touch? Do you need to be standing at the doorway after people leave, giving out flyers? Yeah. You know, what is it? It's a bit. Um, personally, it makes me a little bit cringe 
the sort of thought, but unfortunately it's necessary, it's sort of a necessary evil in this game if you are the product. Um, so yeah, I think that's something probably people have to get past is that sort of cringiness and just you just have to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I guess finally, then sort of once you've got that data, then it's just sort of content is king. Actually, I'll revise that. Good content is king. <laughs> Um, just having plenty of things to send out. Um, comedy is an easy one because there's so many different things. People, you know, it's content that people actually sort of want to enjoy and engage with. You know, jokes, but also little skits, videos. Like, there's so much you can do. But but any sort of forms of public speaking, there'll be something. Even that accountant will have loads of, you know, will have loads of interesting insights into their field that that niche will find absolutely fascinating. So. Yeah. Um, and then just providing them with regular, good, interesting content, then that's it, really. And as long really? as it's all, again, true to that brand, that tone of voice, then you're, you're onto a winner. That's brilliant. I think we're, we're sort of on a similar line. I did a, an episode a few, uh, some weeks ago about your persona, because from the comedy side of it, you, you know, I think that's when you say your tone of voice, I think you're talking about something similar. And I remember, that, you know, I've always held mm. with me they say that when a comedian finds their persona, um, so they know what their persona is and they, and the audience knows what their persona is. That's mm-hmm. the sweet spot. That's when they hit the big time in a sense. And, and it's so difficult to find that person. I still it don't is. think I found mine on the comments. I don't know, but it's, that's the hardest thing I think in some senses. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and or any sort of interview with any comedian, you know, when they're going into the history, it's not, they, they'll often say it's not until they found that persona that they didn't make it. James yeah. Acaster, I was listening to one with him recently, and it wasn't until he almost like turned up the quirkiness. Yes. You know, because he, he wasn't until he turned up the quirkiness and he sort of did those really distinct looks that he does and has those, you know, they're very, like, very recognisable facial mannerisms. It wasn't until he sort of did those more regularly, realised that was who he was, who his on-stage persona was, that things didn't really, didn't go you know, as well as they have done now, you know, that was his moment. But yeah, I think the only way to do it, and this isn't, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, advice that's been given to me is this filming it, filming yeah. it, looking back and finding those bits. And even if it's like, you know, you could do a 20 minute set and you might have two bits in there or two little mannerisms and you think, that's it, that's me. And you yeah. do that and you exaggerate it or you just do it more and, eventually you get you piece all those together and you get to a point where you've got that full persona but it is a work in progress like like i don't think i've i've got it completely by any stretch of the imagination um very much on that journey yeah uh, yeah yeah. it's it's definitely worth doing though and and have you found that doing comedy or using humor has helped you on the business side yes i yes i would say it has uh it's yeah it's a useful it's a useful thing to have um, always because it, it goes a bit to that back to that MC in helping comedy as it makes you that, that bulletproof to an extent um, because it always means you've got particularly in Britain like we like cracking jokes to each other so it's, it's such an easy way to break the ice yeah. um, if you can do a joke with someone um, you know relatively early on or whatever that makes you know that makes networking a lot easier yeah I found also it, it helps you if you're if you're a funny person this isn't always true but if you are a funny person then often you're quite quite good at identifying your own flaws <laughs> the people that I find the funniest are normally the best at that you know they'll, they'll, they'll identify their own weaknesses and that is a real benefit yeah. when you're in business because you have to know what you're not strong at so that you can fix that either by working with people that are or going on courses or doing whatever you need to do to improve that bit of yourself um, that's going to take you to the next stage. So, yeah, so I like, you know, like sort of booking gigs when I do that. Um, the bit I find that I'm not as good at is the actual sort of, you know, I can talk with people, but I'm not very good at sort of discussing all the money and that side of things. That's <laughs> not necessarily my strength. So I work with someone that's, so I've, I've managed to find someone who is good at that and they just cover all of that. I don't, I don't have to get involved um, I can concentrate on the you know the other side of bits that I am better at so I think that's useful is being able to comedy for some reason there's it must work with some part of the brain that does allow you to be a bit more self-deprecating yeah you know perhaps mm-hmm. I don't know why I mean it's probably years of school you know if you 
if you, you take the mickey out yourself before the bull is still, whatever that sort of yeah. definitely that's my sort of experiences. You 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 talk, you know, you have to you punch down on yourself yeah. so that it makes it makes life a bit easier. But if you if you use that to your, to the strength rather than sort of just being down on yourself and actually use those um, those weaknesses you, or identification of those weaknesses to like improve, then that's like uh, that, I think that's really useful. Definitely, definitely some fantastic stuff there. Thank you. And now what have you got? I've got some standard questions to ask you. What have you got coming up on the comedy side this year? Have you got uh, uh, lots going on? Yes, I've got quite a busy year, which is good. I did my first pro comedy night in London on a Saturday earlier this year, which is good. That's sort of like a, you know, a marker, if you like. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm hopefully going to be back there again. That's the, the stand-up club in London. Um, so that's coming up later on in the year. But also I'm going up to Edinburgh this year, which is good because I've not actually properly done Edinburgh. I've done it, a, you know, a little bit, but I'm actually going out with a show this year. Um, it's going to be an hour show, but split with another comedian. Cool. Two half an hour. So that's going to be fun. I'm very much looking forward to that. What's oh, the name of the show, Christian? I'm going to be out there as well. So I'll, I'll come and see. Come and see it. So at the moment, the working title is Renaissance, which is a stupid title because I can't spell it. I've not, I've not been able to spell it once. It's just, it's constantly got a red squiggle under my phone on it. We haven't got a, a, a theme exactly sort of, it's a little bit about rebranding, about rebranding yourself, hence the sort of the name. Because I, one of my sort of things I like to do in, in life is sort of look for the loophole. Yes. I thought it was, I was writing a show about being positive, but it's not. It's just about finding loopholes. <laughs> um, and there's some other festivals. Um, there's a big one down in Bude called Leo Palooza. Um, so book to go and do that, which is great. Yeah, like lots of things. Excellent. Lots of and what venue are you at for this one? Do you don't know? know 100%. Yeah, we're, we're just waiting to hear back. We're going to be with Laughing Horse. So Okay, cool. So Free Fringe. So if, you want, if you're going to Edinburgh this year, check out the Free Fringe uh, Laughing Horse and uh, go and find Christian. But um, before I let you go, before I find, you know, point people in the direction of your website, I wanted to ask you some standard questions. So um, normally this question is, is about public speaking. So take, take it for comedy or public speaking. What's the best thing that, that speaking has done for you? I can answer that one, actually. When, um, before doing comedy, I, I always uh, felt a little bit sort of... Um, like there was something missing. I wasn't quite doing whatever I needed to be doing. And I couldn't quite pinpoint what it was, but I'd be that sort of guy that would, if I saw Facebook photos of other people on holiday, I'd be jealous. And I'd be like, why, why am I not on holiday? Why am I, you know, I've got, you know, and you, you sort of get down on it. And actually when I started doing comedy, those feelings just went, it was bizarre. It was bizarre. It was almost like, I felt like I was suddenly doing the thing that I needed. I was scratching that bit of my you know, the itch that needed to be scratched. And I hadn't, I hadn't even realised how important it was for me. Yeah, so it's given me that. It's, it's made me a lot more, um, it's sort of, it's calmed my brain down, if you like, which I think is a sort of a weird, a weird thing because it feels it was so much adrenaline at some times. But actually, I feel a lot more, uh, a lot more self-confident, I guess. Yeah, it's sort of, it's calmed down anxiety and things like that. And it's something I feel like I'm, you know, if this is as far as I get in comedy, then that's fine. Like, I feel like I've actually, I've given it a proper go, you know? I need, mm. I just, I, I needed to do it and I hadn't realised I needed to do it until I did it. Yeah. It's so almost like living, you feel like you're, you're living your purpose and, and your truth. Yes, in sense. it does. It's, it, it does. It's, which is something I, I, I hadn't even conceived of as a potential. I'd, I'd always wanted to do it, but I hadn't realised just how much, like I hadn't realised how important it was to me. And, and, and to some extent, it sort of feels like, without wishing to sound sort of like cheesy or corny, but it sort of feels like, like what I was supposed to do yeah. in, in many ways. Like even, you know, like I, I love having people around the house. Like it's one of them, when we have friends around the house, we do dinner parties, whatever. It's just one of my favourite things. I'm, a, I'm around people that I really love and I just get to do jokes and get to be silly. And it's, it's like my favourite thing. And that is basically emceeing. It's all it is. I hadn't even realised it, but I was just emceeing these nights. That's all I do. And I'd do callbacks between the different, you know, different, you know, and I'd introduce guests, I'd link the room, you know, do all these sort of things that you would do as an emcee, you know, tell people where the toilets are and what time there's going to be food. Um, I hadn't realised it, but basically I just was training as an emcee when I was, you know, just before I did comedy. 
Um, so yeah, so it's been, it suddenly feels like, oh, well, that's why I've been doing that. That's almost why I've been, I've got this brain. Yeah. This is what it's supposed to do. That's brilliant. And um, have you had a, the worst gig? What's it, either speaking or in comedy? Yeah, um, worst gig. So, uh, so some, some of the, like the early gigs feel very painful looking back. Um, but I, I guess you can't, probably can't be too harsh because, you know, you're just sort of starting out. Um, but at the time, they are so. When you really die and you don't, you don't know why. Is that's really difficult. So those sort of gigs. Yeah, I remember I had a few stinkers. In fact, actually, it was that venue that I did my very first gig. I went back probably maybe like two months, three months later, and by this point, I'd done maybe sort of five or six gigs, and I thought I knew it. I thought I knew what I was doing. <laughs> I thought, I, and I went there. And I had all this new material and, you know, I'm gonna, it's going to be fantastic. And I was so terrible. And my f- girlfriend's brother came along and I was awful. Just, I was so rubbish. And, uh, and it just, nothing landed. And I just felt so awful for, for ages and ages. But yeah, that was, that was a bad one. Um, but you, I still have gigs now where I just, it's a different level of dying. It's like, sort of, it's, it's, you still, it's not really dying in that sense because you know, you are getting laughs or whatever, but to you, whatever standard you set for yourself, you're like, I didn't quite do as well as I could have done there. Yeah. And I didn't, I, and actually, I did a gig recently, this last week, and I just, I just couldn't connect with the audience. For whatever reason, I just couldn't quite get them. And that feels, that feels, you know, so I've got the tape, I'll watch back, see what I did, didn't do, <laughs> um, and, uh, and figure it out from there. But you got back on the horse. I mean, that, that's the, yeah. the point I asked this question is just so that people know that it doesn't always go perfectly, but you, you've got to learn from what goes wrong and get back in the game, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, um, and, it, uh, and I quite like learning from mistakes. Mm. I, I quite like, I, I sort of, I almost have to do it because otherwise I dwell. Yeah. If, I don't, if I don't sit down, and work out what's gone wrong, then I'll dwell and I'll dwell on it for too long and it'll be unconstructive. So mm. if I sit down, and that's actually, I do film every gig um, and I'll film it for a couple of reasons. One, in the first hope that it will go really well and I'll have a great tape that I can show, you know, other promoters and stuff. That's, all, that's the optimistic one. And the other one is if it goes badly, I know what I did wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, you know, like I know what, you know, I even know what happened on that gig on Wednesday. Like it was fine. I've listened back to the tape. It was, you know, got last, but I didn't quite connect because early enough in the room, I didn't, I didn't MC it to extent. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't connect with them in the way that they, you know, it needed to be broken down a bit. I needed to sort of get them a little bit more on board. I needed to give them more of myself and talk more about the room and the place and, because you know it wasn't it wasn't in a comedy club or anything. It was in a restaurant, which is quite an un you know it's yeah. it's not it's not a traditional comedy setting. It's a bit more difficult. I made it harder for myself because I just went on and I, I you know I tried to do jokes too early and before yeah. MCing really, if that makes sense. Yeah, so um, you didn't so sort of, building the rapport. No, you mean that's it. I didn't build the rapport. I didn't build, mm. and I didn't I didn't give them enough opportunities to like me. That yeah. sounds weird. That sounds a weird thing to say, but with MC and you being likable is almost more useful than being funny, really. Yeah. Because yeah. they have to sort of, you have to give them, you know, you have to sort of be supportive of what's happening. Like there's some MCs that are totally different style. I mean, it won't work for everyone. Some MCs are sort of very, um, they, you know, they get a lot out of picking on people. Yes. That, but yeah. that's their style. That's their tone of voice, their persona. I can't do it. Um, mine is have to be sort of, I want people to come back with, you know, I want to sort of praise what they do for yeah. a living because nine yeah. times out of 10, they'll be doing hard, honorable work, you know? Yeah. So I want to sort of, and I didn't, I didn't really give that opportunity in that gig, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. It, but, so it's sort of, and then because I lost them sort of early on, it, it makes it harder, you know, yeah. later on yeah. in the gig, you just sort of, you constantly having the uphill battle. But it's good. It's like I've got. I know what I've got to do now. To be honest, yeah. I could sort of. If I was to do that gig today, I would do it totally differently. And I think that's the that's the important bit. Is actually if you do die or you do have a bad gig, bad public speaking moment, is actually like if you were to do that exact same gig today, could you do it differently? And would you? Would it be better? 
And if you think it would, then you're probably like, you probably would, to be honest. That's so, brilliant. Yeah. yeah, that's really, that's really good. And, um, okay, next one. Um, what is the book that you've read that's had most impact on your life and why? Uh, that's a good question. I think actually I've probably already said it. Yeah, I think that Paul Arden book, I think there's so much truth in that. It's, it's a great book. It's called, it's not how good you are, it's how good you want to be. And to be honest, that title alone, like yeah. the title alone sort of sells it. Um, so I think he was an advertiser um, and he did stuff for like Toyota and stuff. I think, you, you know, that quote, the car in front of you is a Toyota. Yes. Yeah. I think that, that was him. I think that he did, he did that and he did lots of other things. It's got lots of little quotes in it and little nuggets. And often those sorts of quotes I can find a bit, they're a bit difficult. They're just a bit too pie in the sky. But actually, these ones are like really useful. And that, yeah. things like that never seek praise, seek criticism. Yeah. As long as you get into the right mindset of what he's trying to say, you don't yeah. want to, you're not trying to like basically do self-harm. You don't want people to put you down. <laughs> you just want... <laughs> sort of whipping your back, self-flagellating. Exactly. Exactly. You've got to, you've got to, maybe it's, it needs to be never seek praise, seek constructive criticism. <laughs> That'll be my only amends to that quote. Um, but uh, yeah, that's so useful. Like if, and that, that just works for everything. Like yeah. absolutely everything. There's not, there's not, if you want to be better at something, whatever it is, there's nothing that that quote doesn't work for. Yeah. Just like, you know, obviously you need a bit of praise because it helps motivation and helps you keep going, makes you feel good. But more importantly, you need to know what didn't go so well so you can be better for the next time. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's loads of good stuff in that book. And, uh, and it had some stuff about quitting your job. You know, if you're fired from your job, that's actually sort of a good thing which just sounds, on the face of it, sounds like bad advice. But actually, it's sort of in, it, the, the point he was trying to make was that actually you're not really a fit for that company mindset-wise. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you, and therefore you, you really need to be finding somewhere where you are a fit, really, and you need to find somewhere that, that actually appreciates, you know, your, you know, your views. Yeah, so no, it's a good book, okay, I, I cool. find. I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can check it out if they want to. Okay, penultimate question. What's the best bit of business advice that you've had and why? And it may be the same bit of advice. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, it does apply. It definitely applies. Um, best bit of business advice. Um, I, I was very lucky when I was in North Wales. I worked for a company that did triathlons and running races. Yeah. And there was two managers that ran it and they were polar opposites. They were polar opposites in terms of personality. They were great friends. They got on very well. But in terms of, and one of them was very much, he was like the ideas person. And if it, he had an idea and he would do it, he was a doer. He'd have an idea. I've got this idea. And then the next day, he'd have bought a domain name, a website. <laughs> the thing would be up and running. We're doing a brand new race. Everyone's going to be swimming around Wales. It's like, it, was, it, was, it would happen. Whereas the other guy was much more reserved. And he would be the one who'd have to put on the brakes yeah. quite a lot. And so he would often sort of be seen as the party pooper, but he wasn't because the other guy was, they were, what was great about them was they both saw each other's, they saw their flaws and yeah. they saw their weaknesses. And he said, the guy, like the, the guy that was um, the ideas guy, he said, if he didn't have the other one, he'd gone bankrupt. And the other one said, if he didn't have the other guy, he would like, they'd never move forward. They'd still, you know, they'd just be doing the same conservative safe stuff um and that i don't know if that's an even business advice what i'm thinking but it's those that way i always loved that i always like that finding you almost need to find your opposite yeah like you need to find your opposite and as long as it's a constructive uh, you know relationship and you're both in the end trying to grow and move forward but actually finding someone that is you know will sort of challenge you on stuff yeah really useful um, yeah so yeah, so it's not. So it's, it's more of an observation I got from them that I think, I think works really well yeah. in business is trying to find someone that's your opposite. If that makes yeah. sense. No, absolutely, absolutely. That's really, really good. Okay, thank you for that. Last question: If you could have any mentor, and they can be alive or dead, fictional yeah. or non-fictional, uh, who would you choose and why? Mentor. Uh, that's a great shout. Um, it's a great question. Oh, I don't know. Um, I guess it'd probably have to be a comedian. I think it would be remiss of me to not choose a comedian. I, uh, I tell yeah. So my, one of my favorite people, let alone me, is Spike Milligan. 
Oh, I yeah. just love him. I just absolutely love him. Um, and I've, you know, I've read all of his war memoirs and, and uh, just a fantastic man who just looked, looked at the world, in the, the world in the most beautiful way, but also was sort of plagued with quite a lot of darkness as well. Um, yeah. You know, they, they'd say about that, you'd see the most beautiful, you know, you could see the most beautiful colours, but also the most darkest dark. You know, he was, he really had both, you know, both sides to his character. But he, I think, he was someone who always was doing content. He was always writing. Um, and whether that would be something that's just like, he would write daft letters to, he wrote, I've got a book of his letters and he wrote like this daft, he'd just constantly be writing letters. He wrote a letter to PG Tips. <laughs> and he just wrote this letter that just said, um, since you've gone to uh, circular tea bags from square tea bags, I'm just wondering what you're doing with all the corners. Um, <laughs> and they just do things like that all the time. So he's so, I think, so for a mental point of view, I think that sort of level of content and stuff. And But more importantly than that, he's just doing things that please him yeah. um, and just keep himself smiling. Um, so I think he would be a great person to sort of learn from. Not take yourself too seriously. He never did that. Um, and and also just someone who's uh, yeah would sort of um, you know wasn't uh, yeah you know, what there's that did you ever see that clip of him getting them um, he was awarded by Prince Charles um, there's a, an award speech, Prince Charles gave him this uh, award for um, uh, for best uh, best sort of life commitment to comedy or something, uh-huh. and he called him like a grovelling B word, um, and it's really funny. This just this really good moment of sort of just saying it's you know it's just saying the saying the thing at the time that yeah. you know that sort of always needed to be said as well. So I think from I just think that probably Spike Milligan. I don't know if he's a very good mentor, but then perhaps that's why I like the choice of Spike Milligan. Um, <laughs> You can have him. He is yeah, yours, okay. Spike okay. <laughs> I might even put a link in the show notes to to because uh, I don't know if um, we get. There's, there's quite a big. Um, you know, we're in a lot of different countries, and it would be good to expose people in different countries if they don't know Spike Milligan to some oh, of yeah, his stuff. So much, I, I, I will do much. that. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, look, Christian. Thank you so much. I think mm-hmm. you've shared some absolute gold uh, in this interview and i really appreciate you taking the time to do it no problem at all. thank you very now, much for having me you're welcome now if people want to book you to uh do a comedy gig for them or to promote yeah. an event or to build their brand what's the best way for people to get hold of you uh that's easy so if you would like to book um as a comedian um i've got a, a comedy website which is crp comedy dot uh, com crpcomedy.com and then if you want to uh if you want any marketing advice um then that would be firsteditionmarketing.com um and that's number one st editionmarketing.com yeah that's yeah thank you yeah and there's email addresses and everything on there so yeah it'd be great lovely to hear from you brilliant and um are you on social media at all I am. I've got Twitter, uh, and that is at CRP Comedian. Brilliant. Okay. Um, so go and say hi to Christian on Twitter at CRP, and you may not get that joke, but it's quite a funny joke in the way, in the way that he's actually done that. It is his initials, but it was also quite a self-deprecating way of doing it. So, um, good. That's brilliant. Christian, thank you so much for being on the show. No problem um, at all. And uh, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I hope you got a lot of value and had some aha moments whilst you were listening. And feel free to listen again with a pad and paper. Christian is brilliant. Please connect with him on Twitter. Check out couchcomedylive.com as he's going to be emceeing the first gig. And if you have any marketing needs, please get in touch with him. As I said, it's christian at firsteditionmarketing.com. And thanks again for joining me. And if you like The Speaking Club, please take a moment to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And have a fantastic week. Keep safe. Stay sane. But don't forget to go and grab your life by the nuts from the inside of your house and get cracking. Bye-bye. You don't need to waste more time searching for an answer when the most powerful tools to becoming a great speaker and growing your business are already in your possession, your stories. The trouble is that many people believe that either they haven't got a story to tell or that you need to be a natural-born storyteller to use them successfully. 
but neither of these things are true. Everyone has stories, and I want to help you discover yours and share them more powerfully with my new freebie, My Story Wizard. In three steps, it's going to guide you to find your stories, power them up with humor and other tricks, and share them in a way that connects with your audience and sells your thing. If that sounds good to you, then head over to mystorywizard.com and go and grab yours right now.